I do it for the ladies. I gotta keep it hood. Where we at, Polo? Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host. Hey, America. Did you miss my hot breath in your ear? Michael Preston. Welcome to the Coog Center Podcast. I am Michael Preston, as I always am, because if I change my name, that would be a little stupid. What with, you know, brand recognition and all. I don't know if I'm really a brand, but something about that. We will go guestless this week. Uh, sorry, life caught up with me a little bit last week, and that's what working 55 hours will do to you. You don't have time to schedule anybody for a guest, but plenty still to talk about here on the Kook Center Podcast. I was actually finally able to sit down and watch a Washington State basketball game uh, last weekend when they played Washington uh, in Seattle. I game, of course, on FSN, so I got it down here, unlike uh, all the games on the Pac-12 network, because apparently only Dish Network and Time Warner in Los Angeles have the Pac-12 network, which I think about nine people uh, in the L.A. metro area have. So finally able to sit down and, uh, and and watch a game. And you know what? For the first 30 minutes, I, I was actually pretty encouraged. I thought they played a pretty good basketball game. Obviously, Jeff and, and uh, Kyle and Craig can uh, dig a little more into that. But Brock Monum scores your first few points. Kind of disappears for the rest of the first half. Uh, do you know in large part to some good defense from Washington, but uh, I, I really like you know you see DJ Shelton stepping up a little bit. Uh, Royce Woolridge also had another really nice game. Uh, very encouraged by the way, uh, just hearing uh, folks talk about him, what's been written about him at Cook Center and elsewhere about how he's been playing lately. Very encouraged for him uh, to next year. Devontae Lacey, a couple of very key threes, but then came those final ten minutes again, and aren't those just the worst, right? I think I counted six field goals in the final 10 minutes. Final 10 minutes of the game, six made field goals. One of them was with two-tenths of a second left, so let's not even count that one because it really doesn't matter. So four or five field goals, if I'm remembering correctly, in the final quarter of the game. Final quarter of the game, four or five field goals. That's just, that's not going to cut it. It never will. And, you know, Washington's not the team we've seen in years past. They are not a great basketball team anymore like they were. They certainly don't have the home court advantage like they used to just a few years ago when they, you know, they literally stuffed 10,000 people into Alaska Airlines Arena on a nightly basis for the men's basketball team. There were open seats for a UW-WSU game in Seattle which tells you all you need to know about where both, for that matter, both of these programs are. And just brief aside on arrival here, the dog pack, man, you weren't even barking, you were whimpering. That thing was like two-thirds full. You have 42,000 students at that school. You can't get 700 of them to go to a basketball game? Come on, guys. That's weak sauce. But anyway, I digress. We're coming towards the end of the season, so some of this is, you know, it's it's kind of like beating your head against a wall, so to speak. But what we saw in that game, again, was just the lather, rinse, repeat of what we've seen every time. Or in many games with Washington State. It's the, you play an opponent well for 30 minutes. They did this against Oregon. They did it against Washington again here. And they've done it a few more times all season. You play really well for the first 30 minutes, and then something in those last 10 minutes 
your shot-making ability disappears. Washington got a lot of offensive rebounds, or at least it seemed like they were in the second half. Those back-breaking end-of-the-shot-clock field goals didn't help things too much either. I mean, those there were I remember one where Abdul Gaddy was doubled up by DJ Shelton and Devontae Lacey, I believe, uh, right near Lorenzo Romar near the scorer's table. So about, you know, 28, 29 feet from the basket, throws a cross-court pass to, I think it was Scott Suggs in the left corner who heaved one up with one second to go, and it fell. So, you know, you play good defense for 34 seconds, and you just get your back broken by one of those. I, there were three or four of them that Washington had. But, you know, you still say play some better defense. The turnovers. 18 turnovers. 18 of them. 18 possessions that ended without you even taking a shot. That's rough. That's really, really rough. You're not going to win too many games doing that. The fact that they were this close and in and at the end of the game, I think showing a little resiliency. But with only two regular season games to go and the Pac-12 tournament starting on March 13th, Wednesday down in Vegas, and you saw our travel guide to Las Vegas. If not, it's still on kookcenter.com right now. I, I, I don't know how much you know really improving there can be from this team left to go this year with, with just a minimum three games left. You might be able to get a couple extra in the Pac-12 tournament. But basically, with just three games to go, I mean, what what can we really expect from this team? Yeah, we can expect them to improve a little bit, but is that going to carry over to next season? Which, once the season ends, you know, you're talking about it being eight months away. Can they really hold on to any of those improvements? I think at this point, for these final three games, it might just be a case where we just really need to enjoy watching Brock Modem play his final three games in a Washington State uniform. At least for me, that's what it comes down to at this point. For me, it's just about enjoying seeing Brock Modem, a guy who, uh, for his talent level, to play on a on a number of teams that were this poor is a great atrocity. But it's about now watching him improve for these finals, or just watching him play for these final three games. And and as, as Sherwood has said earlier, I'd love to see more of Junior Longruce. I'd love to see more of him. I'd love to see more of Bryce Levitt. See what you have in him over these last three games. You're obviously not going to be going to the postseason. So maybe in terms of these last three games, what I mean is these last two, and then really try to push through the Pac-12 tournament. But just see what you have in these young guys. See what you have in them. Why not let him play a little more? What, I mean, honest to God, at this point, what do you have to lose? Nothing. You have nothing to lose at this point. Not a thing. So if there's nothing to lose, why not just do it? Why not just play the young guys? Coach them up a little bit. I mean, I know it might be stupid. and You're, you're seeding a loss, but I'd love to see him on the floor a little bit and really kind of know what we're in for, so to speak, next year. It's been a tough road to hoe for the men's basketball team this year. Ken Bone gets one more year next year to really make an improvement with this team. We can talk more over the summer about what the expectations will be for him in terms of where this team needs to go next season for him to still be gainfully employed after this season, although I guess his contract's guaranteed, so he's gainfully something no matter what. But 
I would like to see over these final couple of games, let's see what we've got in these young guys. Let's see what we have in these younger players. I'd love to see them out there running the floor a little bit. I do also want to get uh, to the women's basketball team. They'll enjoy an eight seed in the Pac-12 tournament uh, starting in Seattle. Uh, that starts uh, Wednesday today, actually. That starts today uh, in Seattle, uh, taking on, uh, I believe it's Arizona State today. And if they win, oh, they get the privilege, the privilege of playing Stanford. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a pretty unenviable task. If you're June Doherty and her coaching staff to play Stanford, but uh, you know, I, I talked a little bit about where that team had gone a few weeks ago, how disappointed I kind of was, but I, I'm really happy to see them improve over the last few weeks. Had a nice winning streak in the Pac-12, lost again to Oregon, which I really don't understand. Then lost to Cal and Stanford. Kind of expected that uh, Cal and Stanford, two very very good basketball teams, um, but I think pleased to see them. Uh, close the season out on on a bit of a high note, and and that's good. Um, so we'll see what June Doherty can do next year, uh, as well. Hopefully, uh, better things coming for the women's basketball team. Okay, coming up next, I said we got no guest, so I need to talk about something that's been bugging me for a long, long time. Rushing the court. If you follow me on Twitter or on Facebook, you know how I feel about it. But we're gonna put all my feelings down in one place finally, right now here on the Kook Center podcast on rushing the court in college basketball, for that matter, college football as well. Stay tuned right here on FoodCenter.com. Back to the Kook Center podcast here on kookcenter.com. I'm Michael Preston. We go without a guest this week, uh, but it gives me a really good opportunity to, to talk about something I've been meaning to talk about for a long time, uh, and that's storming slash rushing the court uh, in college basketball, and to a lesser extent in college football. We'll touch on that in a little bit, but uh, I, I don't know why this happened, but a number of years ago, a number of uh, sports writers, most notably Rick Riley, who I can't stand anyway, but a, a number of others anointed themselves somehow this you know this gatekeeper for when it is acceptable to storm the court at a college basketball game so you know let's assume that you're an underdog and you have beaten beaten another team okay most of the time this happens when there's an underdog involved okay if a favorite does rush the court I find that a little odd you know like say Washington State was number five and UW is like number 20 and WSU one we storm the court that would be that I, I will say up front I'm not a big fan of that okay you you should not be rushing when you're a favorite but uh, over the past few years it's just it's been oh oh why are they storming the court why are they doing it why are they doing it, it makes it less special why are they doing it let me let me say something first of all there are no rules as to when it comes to court storming nor should there be does the NCAA have a policy about when it's acceptable to do it? No. So really what it is, it's a bunch of 45 to 60-year-old guys who want to chastise college students because they don't remember what it's like to be in college. You don't remember what it's like to be 18 to 22 years old and have a four-year window where if by some miracle it happens that your basketball team is able to beat a, a highly ranked team or beat your rival in a bitter game, that's your window to rush the court. You're an adult sitting in the stands, you, uh, an alumni. No, no, no. You get to stay off the court. But if you're a student, 
it is accept- perfectly acceptable for you to do this. So A, I think it comes from being so old and, f- and forgetting what that's like. But B, it also, where's your sense of fun? Where's your sense of fun? You're being an old fuddy-duddy. Oh, I'm 45 years old now. I'm so mature. I don't ever act like I'm 22. Give me a break. Stop being such a buzz killington and let these kids do what they want, which which I think really brings me to my central point. When people say storming the court is becoming less special because it's being done on a more frequent basis, A, I would point out there's more parity in college basketball now than there was even just a few years ago. So you have you know, more mid-major teams beating these top-ranked teams. Not just in the regular season, but obviously in the tournament. Look at Butler the last... They've gone to two national championship games recently. But it's not meant to be special to you. That's the important thing. It's not meant to be important to you, the sports writer, or the person watching the game at home who has no affiliation with either team. It's not meant to be important to you. You are not the person who this is supposed to be an event that you're going to remember for a very long time. You can say, oh, why are they, oh, 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 oh. Just storming the course so much less special now. It's not special to you. It's special to the 18 to 22-year-old kids who are going through an experience that I hope my kids can go through one day, and that's college. And then while at college... That's being a big college basketball fan. You get four years in college. Five for some of us, six for others. You get that time to be irresponsible or to have more fun than should legally be allowed. And you know what? If you want to run on the court, except for the one case I mentioned where if you're a heavily favored team or and you're playing an underdog and you beat them, if you want to do it, do it. Does it look dumb at times? Yeah, if you're eight and eight in conference and you beat a like seven and ten team and you and you storm the court, yeah, it looks a little stupid. But you know what? This is your time. Do it if you want. Who gives a damn what anybody else thinks? And that's what I think bothers me the most. It's like these people, uh, you know, these national sports writers who are so against the storming the court. Well. I, I just think that there are only certain situations. And everybody's got different criteria. There's no one set of criteria. People will complain about each other's set of criteria for storming the court. No, this to me is a black and white issue. You're either for it or you're against it. It's either always okay or never okay. Because what 19-year-old is going to follow an arbitrary set of rules by a balding, curly-haired dope who writes for the Boston Globe. I think that's where Dan Shaughnessy writes. I'm not even sure if he has court-storming girls. I just don't like him. Um, But this is for these kids. One of my greatest college memories. The first WSU basketball game I went to was in December of 2006 against Gonzaga. Which should also probably tell you why I'm so spoiled when it comes to Cougar basketball. I had a foot in the aisle and I was holding people back. And when that buzzer hit zero, I have never moved so quickly downstairs. Was that a rushable game according to some's criteria? Hell yeah, it was. Gonzaga, if I remember right, was a top 10 team. 
But you know what? Who cares? Who cares if they hadn't been? Who cares if it had just been there? If it, if it was just WSU's rival, which they are, they weren't ranked, but they had beaten us for a dozen years in a row. You know what? Who cares? Please sound like a fuddy duddy and like someone who is so uptight you could turn coal into a diamond if you swallowed it. Please do that. Oh, it's not stormable. Why are they storming? Taking the fun out of it. The fun's not for you. It's for them. I just wish that you could remember what it was like to be in college and not be a contrarian to college-aged kids' activities. They're 18 to 22-year-olds. They're going to always be illogical, but that's what makes them so fun is because this kind of stuff happens. Are there times when it's dangerous? Yeah, sometimes it, it can be dangerous. You know, that kid, I think it was at Miami, who, cr- who on the wheelchair out onto the court. That's dangerous. But you know what? 95% of the time, it's perfectly safe. Just let them have fun. Or are you so against a bunch of college-age kids having fun that you would be the guy who walks into a bar or walks into the Coug on the weekend and goes, Oh, this place is over capacity. I'm calling the fire department. Get out of here, dude. Dunderhead of the Week coming up next right here on the Coug Center Podcast. to the Coog Center Podcast. It is time for our Dunderhead of the Week. God, freaking idiot. A report coming from the LA Times. Uh, Bob Cantu, the head coach at USC for the men's basketball team there. He's been doing a good job uh, with the Trojans here. You heard Christian Capel say last week uh, to not be surprised if they make a good run uh, in the Pac-12 tournament. But uh, uh, he's obviously the interim head coach after Kevin O'Neill was fired earlier this year. And uh, so USC is going to be looking for a new head coach. Now a report from the LA Times uh, I believe this was yesterday, came out that Pat Hayden, the athletic director at USC, was considering hiring Tim Floyd. Is Tim Floyd the dunderhead? Goodness, no. But Pat Hayden, dude, you don't remember, like, what happened with Tim Floyd there and some NCAA issues with... OJ Mayo and all that good jazz. You don't remember any of that? I remember Tim Floyd getting teed up a lot at Beasley Coliseum. He got teed up like four times there. He and Tony Bennett almost got in a fight once. That was pretty awesome. But do you really not remember the past? Or did you just start drinking gasoline instead of an evening cocktail? I mean, I'm just wondering. Just because if you hired Tim Floyd again, that would... Pretty much be the worst thing that you could do. There's plenty of other good coaches out there, Pat. Probably throw a lot of money at Shock Smart getting him to come over to USC. I mean, maybe not, I don't know, but Tim Floyd. Yikes. Bad choices all around right there. Ask Michael anything. Coming up next. We got a good one this week. Stick around right here.
to the Kook Center Podcast. Time for our final segment, my favorite one, Ask Michael Anything. And uh, actually, this week's gets to a question I've been struggling with myself. We'll get to that one last, though. Our first one coming from our own Brian Anderson. Uh, if you could wake up tomorrow with total, absolute knowledge of one subject, what would it be? It's It's got to be, like, how to play the financial markets, right? Like, how to do it perfectly. Because then you just sit at home, make a little money every day, make the right trades, and spend all the time you want with your family doing whatever you want. I mean, that's got that's got to be it, right? Right? Yeah. Uh, Neil Roberts with this question. When the Cougs are getting blown out, what is our go-to drink? And I think this depends on uh, where you are. If you are at home, I'll generally go uh, with Captain and Coke, Jack and Coke, uh, something like that. Uh, if I'm out at the bars, which means I'm going to be paying a little more, whatever's cheap in a pitcher. Because if the beer is bad and you feel as bad, you just want everything to be bad. Just everything to reflect your current mood to drive you even further down into a very, very deep, 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 deep depression. PJ in Florida, our first East Coast question. Uh, Michael, I come to you with a problem. The TV show Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives has long been a guilty pleasure. At first, I thought Guy Fieri was cool. Now I'm beginning to realize that he's a giant tool. The ridiculous pinky ring is a big hint. What do I do? I enjoy the restaurants on the show. It's how I found Waddell's in Spokane, but Guy makes it difficult to tolerate. Thanks. I'm in the exact same situation. The dude's frosted tips, the sunglasses on his head backwards, the sweatbands, the tats. Oh, that's on point. That's on point. I can't. Oh, and, and the and the dyed little part of his goatee in the middle with the horns down his. Oh, I'm in the same situation because I can't stand the guy, but I love watching the show because A, I'm fat, and B, I love seeing all these cool little restaurants. God, does Guy Fieri make it so hard to put up with that show? What makes it even worse is the guy is like, how successful? And he has no formal culinary training. He went to UNLV and studied like hotel business management. And he hosts shows about cooking and food. I just, yeah, I, I can't stand the guy either. So what, what, what do you do, PJ? Keep watching it and, like, put a piece of paper over the TV where Guy Fieri is and then just, like, mute it selectively. You know, like, mute when he starts talking. Unmute. Mute. Mute. Unmute. It's going to probably make you have a seizure, but it's probably the best you can do. Cook Center Podcast returns next week when we will be live. Not live. But we'll be in Las Vegas. That's the important part. Next week right here on CoopCenter.com.